Hello and welcome to Surveyor Says, the podcast from the National Society of Professional Surveyors. Each week, we bring you fascinating guests that are involved in the profession of surveying. We cover a lot of ground, including table lay talk with Gary Kent, point of order with the NSPS Joint Government Affairs Team, future focus, highlighting current and future leaders of the profession, and everything survey-related in between. Thanks for joining us here on the podcast and hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Surveyor Says. Hello and welcome to another episode of Surveyor Says. My name is Tim Birch and today, you know, a lot of times I say we have special guests and let's be honest, all of our guests are special, but today is a really special guest in that uh, it is our our uh new president of NSPS, Ms. Amanda Allred. And so we thought we would get together and talk about the future of surveying, the future of NSPS, and what she wants to get done within her time as president and beyond of NSPS. So welcome, Amanda. Uh, I know you're. it's not as early as we, a lot of times we pull you out of bed for some of our calls, but uh, it's not, at least hopefully it's not too bad. Yeah, thank you for having me, Tim. I'm so excited about the upcoming year and working with you and everybody um, in SPS. All right. So I guess, the, you know, the one question that I know I've, I've always gotten within my, within my discussions and talking to people and they want to know how you got so involved in, in an organization. And um, mine was early grassroots. So, I mean, give us a little bit about what, what drove you to want to be part of a professional organization? I mean, obviously, it's you want to do stuff for your career and, and for the profession, but to get involved with the professional organizations and to take it to this level. Yeah, um, it really started for me working as a professional land surveyor in remote Silver City, New Mexico. I didn't get a lot of interaction with other land surveyors. I worked for a large environmental engineering company out of Colorado. And we had about 200 employees, but I was the only professional land surveyor. And one of the first jobs I had straight out of, well, during college was I got to work with the BLM in Alaska. And we lurked on large surveying crews. And the camaraderie that you feel on a large surveying crew working, um, working with 12 different crews and flying into remote areas of Alaska, it's, it's unbelievable. And so going from that, um, that end of the spectrum to the other side where you're the lone surveyor was um, very lonely. <laughs> and so I actually got involved in our state organization and decided to start going to meetings. Even though it was a three-hour drive, I thought the time and effort was worth it and um, got involved with the New Mexico professional surveyors that way. Very good. Well, and I guess we'll, we'll go a little bit different route with the, uh, with the organizations themselves, but I guess coming back to, you know, you starting out in a large organization, you're the only surveyor and really seeking, uh, seeking out uh, like-minded professionals in surveying. Um, I, can you tell us from your perspective how important it is to have that interaction with other professional surveyors and really to kind of compare notes on what you're doing, what the profession's doing, what the, what, uh, what the environment's doing, and, uh, and, and maintaining some sort of, of communication of, of knowing you feel like you're doing the right things? Yeah, I don't. I don't think we can dis. We can. Um, we can say how important that is. It's. It's imperative. It's. Um, it's critical to bounce our ideas off other people because without that professional interaction, we lose. We lose so much oversight and other 
and other elements that we get from other surveyors, other perspectives that are critical, critical to making good decisions throughout our career. And um, you can get lost in your own tunnel vision at points, um, especially when we work, work as lone ducks. And this is the thing that I would have liked to avoided throughout my career is not having that professional interaction. And I think at times we limit, we limit our abilities without having others see our potential and lift us up as well. And doing that for others too. Exactly. Cause you know, I look at it that if you don't continue educating yourself through these conversations and not really testing what you, what you believe, testing what your solutions you're coming up with. I mean, it's, it's always to hear best to hear other perspectives and <clears throat> excuse me. That's what I, you know, that's what I, you know, and I guess that kind of slides us into the next category of mentors and mentoring both, uh, both up and down that, you know, really when we have that professional interaction, there is, I mean, there really is kind of a complimentary mentoring going on. Absolutely. And um, I think that was key for me, the first intern that I hired um, who got licensed underneath me. I truly believe I learned more from him than he taught me. And we had, we had, we were working in a, um, a remote mine in New Mexico. And, um, and if you ever worked in the mining industry, you know that it's dirty and you know that it's, <laughs> it's isolated. And so um, we barely had a landline and it would go out if the squirrels got too aggressive in the ceilings. And um, we literally were in about a 10 by eight space. And so his chair was about six inches behind mine and we were working on opposite sides of the wall. And um, I would fly to Colorado and I'd go in our office in Colorado and it was immaculate and it was gorgeous. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I had bought into the company and one engineer at one point in time, it was right around 2008, the turndown of the economy. Um, all our environmental projects got canceled, basically, our engineering projects, but our surveying projects did this mm. and we're on the rise. And so a, a very charismatic engineer caught me in the hall and he said, hey, Amanda, how does it feel to be paying our rent? And <laughs> that was eye-opening for me at the time. And I thought, really? And so I said, I don't know. I wasn't aware. <laughs> and so I got on a plane out of Denver and flew back to New Mexico. And um, I was sitting back in my 10 by 8 <laughs> cell. And um, the squirrels were running through the ceiling and the phone was going out. And um, I got this plan to actually um, get us new office space. But my first part of my plan was to write a nasty gram and write an email to the company and tell them how the ways we'd been wrong and how we'd been stuck in the cell. And um, so I was pretty proud of my email and I shot it off to my compadre, you know, two feet behind me. <laughs> and I was like waiting so proud. What do you think? What do you think, man? And he finally... He, um, he turned to me and he said, you know, Amanda, we turned to each other and he said, you know, Amanda, um, my brother always told me that that takes a special kind of person to come up with solutions. Everybody can complain. You can point out all the things that are wrong, but without the solutions, nobody's going to listen to you. And so I thought, oh, oh, great. <laughs> He's right. And so I threw out my email and I drafted a new one and I stated, hey, can we find some office space? Can we do all these things? I found these places. Let's go this way. And it's amazing how many more bees you catch with that honey instead of the complaint department. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I guess, like I said, that'll kind of take us into this, this next category of, 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 of mentors and mentoring and 
the people that have influenced us uh, from above, I'll say from above uh, through our careers that, that instill that, uh, that knowledge, that wisdom of knowing when to kick doors in, knowing when to, to sweet talk uh, when you need to. Uh, tell us about some of the mentors that, that helped guide you uh, down, down this professional path. Yeah, fortunately, um, Steve Frank at New Mexico State had the insight to bring Wendy Lathrop to us and to teach us about elevation certificates. And so that brought this whole world of women, our surveyors. It, it was definite in me. This was never a question that women are surveyors, women are professional, and women can do this. So she was probably my first one. And then I was fortunate enough to work with Dominica Van Coten in Alaska for a number of years. I was her intern and um, she taught me some great lessons. And I always think about um, the naivety of, of us sometimes coming into the profession, especially as women. And um, the only time she ever got mad at me, <laughs> and if you know Dominica, when she's mad, um, you can hear her. <laughs> and um, she, was, she was quite a ways down the hall and I was um, in our sea of cubicles at the BLM in downtown Anchorage. And I heard her coming because I had sent an email, um, a crew chief had asked me in Alaska if I didn't mind going, and he'd sent this to a number of people. It wasn't just me. And so he had, they had a big job out on the chain, on the Aleutian chain, and I had never been to the chain. And my goal as a surveyor was to see as many places as I could, in particular in Alaska. And so they were going to the chain, way out on the Aleutians. And um, he asked if somebody wouldn't mind cooking. <laughs> and so um, me and my naivety, I, I didn't see a problem with this because I wasn't treated because Dominica had been there for a number of years and had established herself as a professional that I didn't see this as a problem. And, um, this was 20 years ago. And so I, but I, in my, <laughs> at least I sent an email to Dominica and I said, Hey, what do you think about this? I'm thinking about doing it. <laughs> and she came down the hall and she never said much, but she said, don't do this. Sure. And that was, that was a great. Well, that's just it. And that, you know, unfortunately, yeah, you're right that there, there are these stereotypes that even through some of the, some of the, the most organized places, there are stereotypes that a lot of times that still get carried on. And you would like to think that that was really not the intent, but bottom line, the optics were there and uh, it sounds like you made the right decision and she was able to influence you the, the right way of, and hopefully not get a smack upside the head, but. Uh, uh, no, and I was exaggerating that, um, but she was passionate about how important yes. it was that I, I not go backwards because she was one of the first women to work in that office. And I don't know what she went through, but I was benefiting from that. Exactly. Well, I guess let's, let's flip the script a little bit then. Um some of the best things about that as a mentor that you received, um, what have you taken in to be able to share to others now? And, um, you know, I'm not going to put you on the spot and say, oh, I mentored this person, this, person. but you can all, I mean, you can say some of the, some of the star pupils that have worked under you. I mean, obviously you've, you've worked in, uh, in, in, in some situations where you have been able to influence uh, some pretty good surveyors that have followed in your footsteps. So what do you think take, it takes to be a good mentor? And what have you, what do you feel like you've passed on? I think, I think it really takes the ability to listen. And one of the key things that I would do when I was running so many large crews in New Mexico 
Um, we staked out 1,500 mining claims in about three months for an Australian company. And I had, um, I had 15 guys working for me. And, and actually, there's a couple gals in there. I shouldn't say just guys. But um, what, I really, what I really did for them is I let, I let the managers run that program. And I let them come to me with their issues. And at the end of the day, I would sit there and I would listen to their banter. And I would listen about the problems that would happen. And I would only get involved if I thought it was something critical that would influence, you know, how the job was going or if it was, you know, and it was key not to correct their people in front of them. It was key to pull out the manager and to talk to him about it and then let him pass that knowledge down. Um, sometimes when you undercut your managers, that can be very detrimental to the whole concept of teamwork and to the whole hierarchy of what you're trying to do. And so the other thing that I'm always proud of doing is, um, is helping other women establish and think about where they're working. And if it's not working, if it's not healthy, we have so much demand for surveyors that they can go anywhere basically and forge a new beginning. And that is key in your career, not to stay stuck and miserable <laughs> for anybody. Exactly. Well, I want to, I want to kind of, <clears throat> cross paths a little bit here. Let's, let's talk about the mentoring that is vital in our profession that a lot of us were able to get coming up through the ranks because of the, I guess, the company cultures, uh, the crews at the time. But let's now introduce, uh, you know, all this technology. And now we're talking robotics. We're talking GPS. We're talking laser scanning. A lot of one-man operations and we're getting away from the multi-person crew to where, you know, the party chief was a big influence on the instrument man, the Rodman. Well, now there's only the one person doing whatever with, with, with whatever they have. Tell me, tell us in your, your opinion on how important that still is to have that, that mentoring uh, coming back through the technician ranks, not even just somebody on a professional track, but for the, yeah. for the technicians. Oh, I think it's key if without, um, without that, I hate to say it hierarchy, but without that direction and assistance and camaraderie, um, I, I feel sorry actually for, for the people that never got that, for the people that never got to be on a three or four man crew, you know, um, with people, with people cutting line through the forest and you have your PLS out in front of you and you have a great person on the instrument, um, that kind of teamwork and team building skills is critical throughout your career. And so I'm not sure how we continue that with just maybe one PLS, an entire office, but um, helping the party chiefs and the technicians and all those people continuing to talk to each other. And one of the things that I always did, we had Monday morning meetings and on Monday we would set the precedence for the week. We would talk to one another we would say, hey, you got a dentist appointment coming up. I can cover that for you. Um, hey, this is really a problem out in the field. You know, um, what do we do about this? And without sitting down and communicating continually, um, it's, it's a tough thing to do. And then we would wrap it up on Friday and we would come back Monday and we would talk about things that happened the previous week and we would set the agenda for the new week. And I Monday morning meetings, 7 a.m. were critical for me. Well, I got question I have for you then, because obviously our cultures have changed. The pandemic has thrown some things that are even more for a loop. We are more technologically savvy. 
um, we're having less crews in some most places coming into the office. They're getting remote uh, remote downloads for all of their work orders and all their information. Um, and I guess you know, and what I'm hearing from you is, while that's all fine and dandy, we still have to have this interaction. We still have to have some collaboration amongst all of the team members on some level to share these stories and to provide this mentoring to each other because we're not getting it in the field as much anymore. Absolutely. And I still think it's key. Um, the, the USAID pushes this a lot, but it's key to have a PLS out there. When you're setting those corners, you get, you get out of the office and you get out there, even when you're finding corners. And, um, and that's always been critical for me. And that's a good part of the boundary side that a lot of young surveyors aren't getting. Sometimes when I look at job postings um, and talking to employers, you can see they have people that can run a, dr a drone. They have people that can do quantities. They have people that can do topo. But what some of our younger, our younger professionals lack coming up is boundary. And that's one of the things I would like to see us, if we can help out through the education committee, is to see how we can provide mentors throughout the country to people who are lacking the boundary knowledge. And, um, and those, that seems to be where the gap is for me. And, um, and that's where I learned the most, even being married to my husband. Um, it's funny how many women end up marrying um, surveyors as well. And I think because we take our job home a lot, that it helps to be able to talk to one another and get that perspective. And I can't tell you how much I've learned. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And it's, it's funny to, uh, the, the, the surveying couples that I know from across the country, that uh, <laughs> they'll say the same thing that it's, you know, and I, I'll kid the husbands every now and then it's like, but what do you go home and talk about? And I, you know, a lot, and for most of them, it's, we talk about our job. We talk about the work, we talk about various things. And, you know, that's what's made them stronger in their relationship uh, because they do have something in common. Um, so no, that's, there's something to be said for that. Yeah. And what a, a great example of that was, um, as at my office one time we had a, um, we had a contractor who had used a total station and, um, and what we, what you would call conventional equipment to perform an easement. And he came off of, of government control. He came off of state plane coordinates. And, um, one of the people in the office had a lot of trouble with that because he hadn't established new GPS, but, his techniques were sound. They met the standards and you can still survey that way, <laughs> you know, yes, you can. And, um, take, when I took this home to my husband, he was the one that pointed all these things out to me and I took them back and was able to convey that. And we moved on and, you know, let the whole project go through. That's good. I mean, you're right. And it, it, it does, it's a matter of keeping an open mind on a lot of things. And, um, yeah, it, I guess for some, yes, they would have had would have had issues because this person is not qualified. But you know, if if things are done in with with proper technique and proper procedure, um, yeah, don't don't discount it. But uh, all right, so uh, real quickly, then we're talking about mentoring. We're talking about technicians. What do we need to do more for our technicians uh, across the country? You know, that's something we keep talking about. We talk about the reduction in licensing. We're, you know, and, and, and people, we're going to lose people, the graying of the profession. I think we're going to be doing the same thing with technicians and we're trying to get more technicians into the, into the, the fray. What more can we do as the profession and as NSPS? Yeah, specifically as NSPS, I, um, I've kind of been thinking maybe to talk to the CST program and we could consider how to get more 
and, and with the states and how to get more of the associates and technicians as members. And then we can pass some savings off to those members and create this as a why you join NSPS and possibly give discounts for their, for their exam taking and for renewing their license. I, I don't know exactly what it's called, but the renewals, I know there are some fees for that. Yes. And if there was a benefit and it, it to being a member and to that, we could help, you know, offset those costs for companies and individuals and still really promote an excellent program where they get some excellent credentials that can go from state to state, not just their local surveyors, not just their local DOT, but state to state. And I think that would be key to increase their um to show their abilities across state lines and to keep whatever pay grade they are the same. Because you, as you know, when you hire somebody, if you don't really know what their qualifications are, they might be saying the right things, but knowing that equivalent is key to keeping the pay, you know, consistent. That's absolutely. And that's one thing that we tried, I've been trying to, uh, to project in, in some of our presentations and a lot of our material is, is that value of CST. And when you have somebody that walks through the door with a resume with a CST certification on it, whatever level, you know they're good for, for something. They've proven themselves versus just a resume of, yeah, I've run all of this equipment, worked all these different places. And then six weeks later, you realize this person has no idea what they're doing. They just padded their resume. So there's absolutely yeah. a lot of value in, in that CST program. And the other side of that is getting professional land surveyors to take it. Because then you actually know their qualifications. You know what you're getting and you know how difficult it is or isn't. And I would say it's probably more difficult than isn't, but that can give you some perspective and also respect for what your crews are going through. And you have a good guideline of what they know and what they've learned. You know, I've challenged uh, several of my contemporaries back (laughs) in Illinois, uh, licensed surveyors. To, to let's anonymously take this test <laughs> and nobody would take me up on it because well, were, I will, Tim. <laughs> but it, but the, it, you know, that's just it. It's it, it, it is a quality test. It is a good uh, challenge to, 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 to really see what a, what a technician has to go through and we're a, a, a licensed person, you know, you know, that's one thing I won't go down this rabbit hole, but I've, I've, I've always wondered about uh, you know, once you get your license, kind of like a driver's license, do you ever need to go and retest? And I said that one time at a chapter meeting years ago, and I thought I was going to get thrown out of the meeting. <laughs> but, you know, but there again, I mean, at what point does does your skills fall off that you're not current? And um, I think it would be an interesting test for for a lot of licensed people to take even anonymously and say, what do you think you really know about the technician side? Oh, absolutely. And we could do that as a testing thing across the country and see how people feel about it. It's funny you mentioned driver's license because I was, um, when I moved to Alaska, I failed the driver's license <laughs> exam. And it, it takes a hit to your ego, you know, but you got yes. to go back, get the book out. And um, Alaska is different driving compared to New Mexico, obviously. But. What? So what uh, was it when you encounter a moose, what do you do? I mean, <laughs> a lot of things like that, actually. And okay. um and if you see a stranded um, a stranded person along the highway, you have to stop and help them because they could stop. literally die. Okay. And it's not a matter of your safety. It's a matter of their safety as Interesting. well. Interesting. Yeah, there's some quirks to it. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of quirks, um, 
let's talk about committees for a second of NSPS because there's some quirky individuals and quirky, quirky committees. Um, and I say that tongue in cheek because, you know, there was one thing that I think I hear commonly from a lot of our members and a lot of our, our, our states is that we've got all these committees and, you know, what really truly gets done. Now, I, you know, what I try to remind people is, you know, and also look at your own state societies people and, and, you know, be careful throwing stones in your glass house, but um, they're all volunteers. They're all, you know, all trying to get stuff done on top of their paying jobs. But bottom line is we're still volunteering for something we need to deliver. So share us on your vision of what the committees, the various committees and what those charges and what those goals of those committees could be, should be, and what you're hoping to, to, I guess, encourage and, 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 and make, make real during, during your presidency. Yeah, this is, um, as, as you know, it's near and dear to both of our hearts is inspiring committee chairman. And we have some great committee chairmen that have been doing work for a long time and, um, and relighting those fires. I'm so, so enthusiastic. I know you mentioned this before about what Tim Murphy is going to bring to workforce development. I think he has some, some key, some key items that he wants to work on and really limiting what they're doing to a couple specific items. And Bob Akins has been our new vice president, well, president-elect, <laughs> um, has been key to that strategic plan and getting short-term goals along with long-term goals, seeing if we're meeting those goals or if we need to throw out some of those goals. And, th and that's what's key too. If something's not working, let's identify it and start something else, you know? And so one of the things that I was going to approach the education, I am going to approach the education committee about it, was like I mentioned, creating some boundary specific links from PLSs who specialize in the field to mentor people who are preparing for the LSIT and PLS exams. I think you've told me this before that um, they lack boundary. And that's one thing I would like to help. The other thing is if you um, talk to a lot of educators um, around the country, including Corpus Christi, New Mexico State, and Parkland College, among others, I hope, that they're having boot camps or STEM-related um, tracks that are already established at um, universities for the summer program. And I would love to see every community college and four-year degree program across the country have something in this fashion to do for high school students, and possibly even those that are kind of confused about where they're going in their college career. And so those are a couple for them. And as well as I'm really excited about what Gail is going to bring to the PR um, committee. She has done this for a few years and her and Nolan Mark, I think have some great ideas. You actually mentioned one yesterday um, on Roundtable Tuesdays about Twitch. And um, <laughs> I have a, a gamer son. And so I kind of know, but I don't really know. And right. so, <laughs> so what your knowledge about what's happening in Texas and how they're applying this, I think could be critical to PR and workforce development. And those, those three committees are so intertwined. We have to be careful that they're not doing the same thing and replicating. And so I've really been working on communicating with them to make sure they're not overlapping, but they're complementary to one another. Exactly. And, and you, you just hit on a, I mean, a <clears throat> excuse me, a very strong characteristic that I think that the organization needs to build up on. And that's exactly it is communication. So we know where these committees stand, what, what avenues that they're, 
they're working towards and how they're working in concert rather than working in parallel doing the same thing. So you're absolutely right. We need to, we've got to bump up our, our, our communication in that respect and start looking at different ideas, different, different avenues, different marketing techniques. Um, like I said, when in talking to Texas and talking about Twitch, it's like, you know, that's really a good idea. But I think what people also have to remember is that, you know, a lot of these ideas and to implement a lot of this stuff is going to take revenue. And we've got to be, we've got to make sure that we keep our membership up and we keep a member uh, revenue opportunities up too. So, um, but, you know, part of it is we're not going to have to spend that money if we don't come up with the ideas and we don't have enthusiastic individuals working together to make these things happen either. So like I said, it's, it's a, it's going to take a little bit to, to oil the machine again, but I think we're, we're capable of doing it. Oh, absolutely, Tim. And one of the most important things that we were able to do through the pandemic was have effective Zoom meetings. And the diversity committee proved to everyone that there is a lot of work that can be done effectively through a monthly Zoom meeting and, um, and, and passing the work on to others and incorporating members, not just directors, into their committees. Um, the directors sometimes get tired a lot and, um, and sometimes bringing in members is so crucial for new ideas, for fresh enthusiasm, and some people to take the burden off a little bit, so to speak. Sure. sure. Uh, any other committees you want to highlight? I mean, there's. I mean, there, like I said, right? What you've explained so far. I mean, that's that's a lot of work. I mean, it, yeah. it is a lot of work. Um, the other one I'm working with closely is Tim Brewer with the membership. I'm so proud that um, that the hard work that you all put in um, has helped, well, has finalized California coming in. And one of our other goals um, was to bring Puerto Rico in. And we were pleasantly surprised at how many members they have. It seems like maybe for a central Caribbean island, a lot of, um, a lot of other islands seek them for, um, for professional certification. It's, and we're talking what, about 383 members. In yeah, there's, there was a, a, a much bigger number than I was anticip anticipating and uh, pleasantly surprised. Pleasantly yeah, surprised. I mean, it's fantastic. And it's almost a shame we haven't got them on, you know, sooner. But one of the other goals could possibly bring bringing on the rest of the territories and seeing where that can take us, you know, um, as well as wrapping up Arkansas. And so that we get that 50 state membership. And you bet. Tim. Tim Brewer is from Mississippi and he knows people. And um, hopefully if you're from Arkansas and you're interested <laughs> in coming in, we are, we'll be so enthusiastic and, um, and wanting to talk to you. And I know this is, this is something that you share with me, Tim, as being important. Yes, yes, it is. States. Well, and I'm glad you brought up Puerto Rico because that's something else that I would like to think that NSPS can help with going forward globally. And that's one thing that FIG really, really has struggled with. And I think we're, we're going to be able to help with is that connection to Central and South America and the Spanish speaking nations that, that obviously there's a lot going on in Central America, in the Caribbean, in South America, but they've really never made that connection to the rest of the world and on, on a global scale. And so getting Puerto Rico in uh, our, our continuing relationship with APAT uh, and Ruth and, and everybody in that organization, I think it's just going to keep building because like it or not, uh, 
the, the Hispanic speaking, you know, Latin, Latin Spanish speaking uh, contingent is going to be there. That's a big part of our, our culture now that uh, why, you know, why can't we figure out a way to embrace it that much more? Um, because they are a big part of, of our profession. Um, oh, absolutely. Both- and I think we saw that from New Mexico State. I don't know if you heard that young gentleman say that he was an immigrant. And he mm-hmm. actually um, he actually started out on a survey crew by accident. And he ended up, you know, at New Mexico State. And I can't tell you how inspiring that is as a Hispanic American as well to see that. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, that's part of what, you know, we have to, if, if we're going to grow as a profession, we have to embrace the change that is not just the technology and the licensing, whatever we have to, we have to embrace it uh, from an environmental standpoint of, of the, of the the demographics of the people that are in it. So uh, yes, I think it's very important that we bring in Puerto Rico and, and, and beyond whatever we need to do there. All right. Well, I guess that also then kind of leads us into a little bit of a, a a finality here is uh, future surveyors. If you had a piece of advice to give, future surveyors, if you had not even an elevator speech right now, if you had, if you had five minutes to, to talk in front of, uh, you know, a group of, of, I mean, all genders, all races surveying, what would you say to them as far as how to be successful going forward? I would, I would really encourage, and I know this is a trendy kind of thing to say, but to follow your intuition and follow where your nose leads you, because um, we don't, we discount that too much. And if something doesn't feel right, um, walk away. If something feels great and it's something feels like this can work. Um, I know getting your GISP is so powerful. I was, I was lucky enough to go to the university of Alaska at Anchorage and New Mexico state and the university of Alaska at Anchorage exposed me to GIS, which I never knew about. And what they're doing really, really well at um, Anchorage is having both paths within a surveying program. And you're exposing people who probably already know about the GIS side to the land surveying side. And we're able to track those people back over into the land surveying. Um, And I know this is, you're passionate about it as well, Tim, because we worked on some GIS projects together. Um, We're missing an opportunity there. So if GIS interests you, if boundary interests you, if you're passionate about, about getting out west and seeing what it's like in California, if you're passionate about, you know, going to the coast in Florida, do those things, take those risks. You're young, you can do it. And um, change can be scary, but I can tell you at 18, going to Alaska, it was worth it. <laughs> Very good. Well, you're, and you're exactly right because I, you know, I, I really foresee uh, you know, a real big crossover that there are going to be a lot of GISPs that want to get their serving li- licenses and vice versa, because they see the value in both of those uh, certifications licensure, because it, it just, there, there's a huge technological marriage that, that really, really works. So that's, I, I like that. That's some good advice. Absolutely. Uh, and surveyors end up being the head of a lot of these departments. And if you can't speak GIS to your GIS people in a geospatial department, um, you're not one, you won't be the chief of geospatial, you won't be the head of that department, and you need to help direct what the limitations are and what, what they can do that we can't do. And, um, and that's where we need to accept <laughs> that a little bit. Exactly. All right. So all of those things said, how does the future surveying look to Amanda Allred? It looks bright. I'm excited. 
Um, I am so enthusiastic about working with you, Tim. I know I've said it several times, but um, we disagree on a lot of topics, but I think our disagreements make us better and that um, we, can, we can really benefit the organization in a well-rounded manner. Um, when you isolate yourself too much and don't talk to people who don't think like you, you can run into some huge, um, huge, huge potholes and huge places that you don't want to be because you don't know what other people are thinking. And, um, and those ideas are, are so beneficial. One of the last things I would like to do is actually to talk to the executive directors and make sure our states are, um, are getting the correct email addresses for everybody. And it's, it's a difficult thing to do, even on the state level, to make sure we have updated email addresses. But when I go to state societies, one of the, one of the complaints I get is they don't get news and views. And I think that falls back on, um, on the states to get us some of those. And if we can assist them in any manner, because I know they're busy, but if we can help get them news and views, and it's a simple matter of having a correct email address, exactly. and then we can get them those ballots and we can, we can increase what people know about our organization. Exactly. And, and, you know, I guess, you know, that's part of it that I've, I've come to find out in talking to a lot of the state execs and, and how we do, we're dealing, I'm not going to pick on the necessarily the older generation of surveyors, but they almost feel like they tie their email address to uh, the, a vial of blood. And it's like, no, 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 it's just an email address. We want to be able to get a hold of you uh, and provide you with information. And you're right. It's, they're busy too. And it's finding finding that sweet spot and being that partner with those state execs to say, this is the reason it's important. We have all of this up-to-date inf up information. So yes, please keep beating that drum as well. I mean, that really falls in line with everything we're trying to do here uh, at the, at the main office that uh, we have to be on the same page. So absolutely. That's, that is a, that is a great thing. One of the other last things I'll leave you with too, is I, I really is so appreciative of the membership giving me this opportunity and um, to only be the fourth woman is incredible. But one of the things we never, I, I didn't really think about when Lisa Van Horn was still there and with Patty Brooks on the executive committee as well, there were three women on the executive committee. And I hate to be the head counter, but you know what? That's a good head count. And I think that shows how progressive this organization is, how progressive Kurt Sumner is, and how progressive you are, Tim, as well. Well, and that's one thing that, you know, when talking to the young surveyors last night, uh, that, you know, that, that's the challenge is that we need to make sure that we continue that message throughout all the way down to make sure that these young women that are coming up through young surveyors, that they get it. They, they are part of something. They're part of the future. They're, they're driving their own bus and, uh, they're just as important, if not a lot of times more important, uh, than the masses. So they've got to keep fighting and, uh, we're going to be here to keep fighting for them. Yeah, and one of the happiest things I have to relate back to Dominica and Wendy is that I didn't experience the problems they experienced. I was naive. And what I see is a lot of, um, and that naive maybe isn't the right word there. The, I, we just didn't go through the same things. And I see that in the young women that are coming up, that they aren't experiencing the hardships that I had to. And that means progress. That means yes. we're doing the right things. Yes. And I'm so happy to see that, that they are treated differently and they're treated as equals. And um, a lot of that goes back to just men's perspective. And I think, I think surveyors in general aren't, they are not, um, they're not chauvinistic and they're not wanting to keep women out. They just sometimes don't know how to bring them in as long. 
as well as other diverse backgrounds. Like if you don't have a lot of Hispanics in your state, as Mark Sargent has said, I mean, how do you expect somebody to do that? That's not realistic, but um, we can help teach them when they do have people that they encounter and what the customs are in order to keep, um, in order, in order to keep relations really, really good. Exactly. No, that's all great stuff. I, I, we appreciate you sharing your views, sharing your thoughts and your visions of where things need to go, because, you know, it is important that we do this all together. And uh, there's only one way we're going to continue to move forward uh, in a positive manner if we're doing this all together. So, uh, you know, whatever we need to do to make sure that that message is, is perfectly clear, to find new ways to get that message out. And, uh, you know, like you said before, you know, you hate to sound cliched, but, you know, it's the diversity, it's inclusion, it's equality. Uh, it might sound like a cliche to a lot of, a lot of people, especially, you know, I'll say a lot of our, our practitioners. Um, that's just the way life is, and that's the way it needs to be. And that's the way this organization and the bulk of the profession is going to go forward. Um, and I think if you can think of it as an opportunity, an opportunity to find more bodies and um, we need more people. And um, this is an, this is an employment opportunity that we're not, we're not employing this demographic. And there's half of the people in the United States are women. And it's a shame that half the members of this organization are, aren't women, <laughs> you right. know, and um, this is a, this is an incredible opportunity to increase our numbers and increase the number of professional landscapers and technicians across the country. Well, then I'll do a shameless little plug for next week's uh, podcast. I sat down with a young lady uh, in Dallas, Texas last week. Fantastic young uh, uh, survey technician. She got introduced to surveying a little early, you know, right after, right after high school. She took a break uh, and ended up deciding, you know what, that's what she wanted to do. And she's now back working for a surveyor and going to college with all these aspirations of becoming a, a, a licensed land surveyor and just sitting across the table from her talking to her, there's no way I would, anyone should have any guts to look at her and say, no, you can't, no, you can't, <laughs> because this, this young lady is, uh, is a powerhouse. I mean, she, and she didn't, the, the cute, the not cute, the, the interesting part of it is she has no idea how much of a role model she is. Absolutely. For, for what she's, where she's at, what she's laying out and her goals. So like I said, shameless plug for next week uh, uh, as well. But Amanda, this has been a great conversation. And I think this really kind of lays out the roadmap of what we're going to accomplish over this next year. And it also, it allows us to create that path to continue forward beyond that. So I think we're, yeah. we're in pretty good shape. And one last shameless plug, another thing that's um, near and dear to my heart is the Women Serving Summit. And yes. that is one thing I'm so proud that NSPS did this spring was to sponsor $1,000 toward young women that need, um, need some assistance to go to that meeting. And I cannot emphasize enough, if you're, a young, if you're a young woman, if you're any woman in this industry, the camaraderie and the, the sharing of the sharing of mutual experiences is incredible. And so if you have the opportunity yes. to either attend virtually or in person, it's in Williamsburg, Virginia. And I know Anna Rios and all the people there at the summit would love to have you. Good. That, not, that's not a shameless plug. That's, 
that's something we, we, we have to follow through on and make sure that, you know, just like our scholarships, people need to take advantage when we have opportunities to help, uh, you know, like uh, a good friend of mine always used to say, whenever, you know, you would try to turn, when somebody tried to do something nice for you and you try to turn it away, he'd always just tell me, say, Tim, shut up and say, thank you. Just <laughs> That's right. Do it. I mean, if people are going to offer to do something, let them, let them help. And absolutely. So let's, let's go with that. Well, Amanda, thank you for doing, for uh, stepping up and, and, and doing this, not just the interview, but uh, the whole role of an officer and uh, this it's hard to lead. It is. It's an interesting time uh, to try to lead, and especially a, a woman in a in a male-dominated per, uh, profession. That you know, can we can we crack that door open that much more? I'm hoping so. Absolutely, Tim. And it's it's because of people like you, and because of all the people at NSPS that are are welcoming. And I, I that's what I hope people know that um, if you get involved in this organization, you're going to be welcome. And um, and that's it period. And um, I hope more people take the opportunity to do so. Well, I can say that the three women that I work with, um, <laughs> the, 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 the jobs they do uh, on an everyday basis and get stuff get done. Um, I, I can't imagine men being in their same roles because I don't think we would get anywhere near a percentage of, of stuff done that they get done in a, in a normal day. So on top of everything else. So um, nope, that's good. That's really good. So. Um, I tell you what we should probably do is let's get a few months under our belt. Let's check back. Let's see what progress we've made and see what, uh, see what more challenges that lie ahead of us and uh, revisit this conversation. You bet. I look forward to it, Tim. All right. Well, that'll wrap it up for this week on Surveyor Says. Like I said, we've got uh, the great one next week with uh, this young lady from Texas. Uh, we've are and a lot of other great things that we're lining up, including some geodesists, some hydrographers, a um, couple more officers within NSPS, uh, some, some newer faces, um, a lot of great content coming up. For, so uh, on this end, this is Tim Birch, and uh, we will see you soon. Thank you. You've been listening to the Surveyor Says podcast, brought to you by the National Society of Professional Surveyors. If you have any questions about today's episode or any other topic, please email us at info at nsps.us.com and we are here to help. Visit our website, nsps.us.com to learn more about our association, the programs we administer and support, our sustaining members, and information about future episodes of Surveyor Says. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, as well as our podcast host, Podbean. And remember, it's a great day to be a surveyor.